In Chronicles, we started out with uh, King Saul. We talked about King David. Then we just got done talking about King Solomon. Now, those are the three we normally remember. Saul, David, and Solomon. Gets a little tricky now, everybody. Starting here tonight, we're introduced to Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Now, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, he becomes king over Judah. That would be the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. Jeroboam becomes king over Israel, which is the ten northern tribes. From this point forward here, this point forward, there's two kingdoms. Israel, the ten northern tribes, and Judah, the two southern tribes. So keep that in the back of your mind as we do this. Now, how we've been doing Chronicles is we were learning from them. Remember what it says in Corinthians that Paul talked about? We can learn from these people. Learn from what they did right and learn from what they did wrong. Jeroboam here tonight, excuse me, Rehoboam, we're going to spend most of the time talking about him. This guy's a roller coaster. He has moments where he hits it out of the park. And amen, what an example he is, followed by moments of what is he thinking. The sad part about Rehoboam is that's something we can relate to a lot. There's times spiritually where we feel like, Lord, I got it. I'm going to go out and share Christ with everybody I run into. I'm going to be in the Word. I'm going to be in prayer. My life, my marriage, and everything is going to be different. We come off that high, and next thing you know, we're just kind of coasting for a while. So how can we learn from Rehoboam as we get into this? So... 2 Chronicles chapter 10, Solomon has just died. Now Rehoboam, verse 1, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Now if you got your hand right there in 1 Kings 11, I want you to just kind of look at this real quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I hate to say it, from this point forward in Chronicles, it's like you're watching a soap opera, Okay. This is just the way it is, the drama unfolding, what everybody does. But what you have here in 1 Kings 11, verse 26, is you have this guy, Jeroboam. He's Solomon's servant. This guy was a good guy in the sense of he was wise, he was smart. But what happened is, verse 27, this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, smart kid, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at the time when Jeroboam went out to Jerusalem that the prophet Ajah, the Shilonite, met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ajah took a hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. So Jeroboam has this prophecy over him. He gets ten tribes. Now, why would God do this? Well, the answer is found right here in verse 33. Because they have forsaken me and worship Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my way, do what is right in my eyes, and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. But God says, I'm not going to take the whole kingdom from him. I'm going to give you ten tribes. And I'm going to keep two left for Solomon. Now, here's the problem, though. Verse 40. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose, fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. This guy knows, this guy knows that the Lord has something in store for him. So now Solomon has died, Jeroboam comes back up. So Jeroboam, keep your hand here in 1 Kings, because we're going to come right back to that. So Jeroboam comes back up now after Rehoboam has taken over, and he comes back and he basically says, what is your plan? Verse 3. They sent for him and called him, and Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying... So Jeroboam comes with Israel. Maybe he's got the backing of these northern tribes. He comes to Rehoboam, and he basically says this. Listen, your dad 
was really hard on us. Lots and lots of taxes. Verse 4, would you make the yoke easier on us? Verse 5, Rehoboam said to them, come back to me after three days, and the people departed. So come back in three days, and we'll figure this out. Verse 6, Rehoboam, King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, if you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer to these people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your fathers put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Now real quick, Dustin, can you put up that next slide real quick? Just two quick verses here out of Proverbs. Where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. God has always called us to work together as a body of Christ. You know, the Bible refers to us as sheep. Growing up on a farm, we had sheep. Sheep are quite the flock of animals. Be it good, bad, or dumb, they are a good flock of animals. They work together that way. Now, the body of Christ is called to do this. There are no solo Christians. There's no island Christians. There's not. He's always designed us to work together. And one of the ways he's designed us to work together is when it comes to wisdom and counsel. Now, please note, counselors, if you read the context of these passages, what Proverbs is talking about is good, godly men and women that you're talking to. It doesn't mean you're talking to Fred on the line at work. Because just because you spend 10 hours with him, well, Fred thinks I should do this. Well, has Fred fasted over it? Has Fred prayed over it? And has Fred sought the scriptures on your behalf? Probably not. I'm not picking on Fred. But the point is, you're getting around godly men and women that you trust, saying, here's the situation. Could you pray for me for wisdom? What do you see the Bible saying about this? What do you see? This is God's design, is to come together as a flock, as a body, and say, let's pray for each other to know the plans that God has for us. No flying solo, no solo island Christians. So Rehoboam is doing good by gathering advice. But did you notice this? Did you notice this? Verse 8. He rejected the advice which elders had given him. He rejected the advice without ever hearing what the young men had to say. I heard a term recently called advice shopping. Where people just jump from friend to person to friend to person asking what they think they should do. They're not really looking for advice. They're looking for someone to agree with them. And so, therefore, they'll just keep going to different people until they find the person that sounds good. And that person may be Fred at work. And so that's the advice they go with. The advice that these elders gave him is good, solid advice. I remember, especially verse 7, years ago at a pastor's conference, they said verse 7 should be your verse for your volunteers at church. If you're kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. That if somebody is volunteering their time out here, tell them thank you. Write them a card. Appreciate what they do. Because I tell you, that's the backbone of what happens. Is this group of volunteers that happens and works behind the scenes. Right now, we're sitting here comfortably. Why? Because someone took the time to clean the church. Someone took the time to pay the electric bill. Someone is taking care of your beautiful, young, wonderful children in the back. So that way you can have a calm, peaceful time here this evening. There's a lot of volunteers. 
And what we see here is good godly advice. Listen to them. The problem is, verses 8 through 11, Rehoboam gets a little bit of bravado, machismo, and he's going to show the world how big and powerful and strong he is. So this advice basically comes and says, no, don't be nice to them. Rough them up a little bit. Let them know who the boss is. Verse 12, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people. See, he looks tough. He looks rough. He looks powerful. I've really come to the conclusion after walking with the Lord here and just really stopping and realizing, it really doesn't matter what people think of me. Am I really representing Jesus Christ? Because there's a lot of times in my life where I want to defend James and I want to defend what I think and what I feel and I want people to like me. And if I keep reading from Genesis to Revelation, God keeps saying, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And it's about representing him and all that he's saying to you. So Rehoboam comes across looking powerful and strong and mighty. And guess what? He loses the kingdom. Verse 15, so the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from God, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ajua, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. That's the prophecy we read back in 1 Kings 11. God didn't make this happen. God just let Rehoboam do Rehoboam. And so what happens is Rehoboam is talking about how tough and how rough he is. Well, guess what? The rest of the kingdoms come back and say, we have no claim to this. And so what happens is they say, we're going to leave. Verse 18, then King Rehoboam sent Hadaram, who was in charge of revenue, but the children of Israel stoned him with stones and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. Now, this is not really smart. You've got ten northern tribes who want to rebel against you. They're not happy with their taxes. And so the guy you send to them is your chief tax collector? Rehoboam is trying to look powerful, power, trying to look mighty. These guys stone him, and what happens at the beginning of chapter 11? It's time for civil war. The northern tribes versus the southern tribes. Judah and Benjamin are going to take on the ten northern tribes. Now God steps in and intervenes and says, don't do this. Verse 4, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. Thank the Lord for that. But is this not the flesh? Now no one will admit this, right? But have you ever had an evening at home with your spouse? And you came home and maybe you were just a little frustrated from work and you're a little worked up about stuff. So then your spouse just says something tiny, right? So then you say something a little tiny back. And next thing you know, you're not talking. Next thing you know, someone's sleeping on the couch. And then you get up the next morning. This is not in the urban household, okay? I'm just telling you because we got the perfect marriage. You know that. Then you get up the next morning and you're still not talking. I mean, this is what's going on with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam kind of comes across as being respectful. Hey, could you lighten our load a little bit? Rehoboam says, no, I want more from you. And I'm going to send my tax collector to get you. And now I'm going to get an army around to come fight you. Come on. When I keep looking at us as believers, we're called to a different standard. We're called to a different pattern on how we live and how we work and how we speak and how we act. Why is it as believers we fight like the world fights? Why as believers do we act like the world acts at work? Why as believers are our marriage just like the marriages of the world? 
We have a different moral standard. And what God is trying to teach us here in these stories is, guess what? Listen. Respond in peace. Respond in kindness. Respond in good words. Don't let it build up to the next civil world. Never worth it. Never good in any way whatsoever. So that's where we end right here at the end of chapter 4, excuse me, verse 4 of chapter 11. The kingdom is now split. Northern tribes, southern tribes. Now before we head on, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything before we go on? Alrighty. So what do you do now that you're in the midst of the Civil War with co-workers, with friends, with family? You buckle down on your position, verse 5. So Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense. So you got to still look tough, don't you? Verse 11, he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them and stores of food, oil, and wine. Also in every city he put shields and spears, made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. Because you know what? It's always about winning the argument, isn't it? It's always about looking tough. It's always about being the one that's right. So Rehoboam's still trying to look tough. It's never worth it. I can remember when Don and I first got married. We're going to be celebrating 20 years this year. And I can remember somebody telling us when we first got married about having one of those fights And as the fight goes on, you can't even remember what you're fighting about. I thought that was the silliest thing I've ever heard. Then Dawn and I had an argument one time. And halfway through the argument, I'm like, what are we really fighting about? I can't even remember, you know? But my flesh would not let her win, right? Because you can never let the other person win. Rehoboam can't look weak. He's got to fortify his cities. He's got to build everything up. When I do marriage counseling with couples, one of the things I always talk about is, listen, one of you has to take down your wall. Because both of them have walls up. They will not let the other person know that they care. They'll not let the other person know that they're trying. So they build these walls up. And next thing you know, you're roommates that don't get along. Because why? You're trying to be like Rehoboam. You're trying to show how tough and how rough you are. And really what happens is you put all your energy into building up your defenses. But notice with Rehoboam, there's not one passage so far about him putting any effort into anything spiritual. Nothing. His grandfather, David, was the man after God's own heart. Solomon, his dad, was the man that built the temple. Rehoboam, nothing spiritual thus far in his life. Remember what I said at the beginning of the message? Rehoboam is up and down, up and down. At this point, he's not caring about the spiritual things. He's only caring about himself. So what happens? Verse 13. And from all their territories, the priests and the Levites, who were in all Israel, took their stand with them. For the Levites left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. Then he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons and their calf idols, which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years, because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. Now, what is this saying? Keep your hand here. Go to 1 Kings 12, as we mentioned earlier. What happened was, we get a little bit more background here in 1 Kings chapter 12. Jeroboam realizes, he realizes that he's not going to have the temple. The temple's in Jerusalem. The ark's in Jerusalem. So Jeroboam decides this. Verse 25 of 1 Kings 12. Remember, Jeroboam, king of the northern tribes. Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. And he went out from there and built Peniel. Now Jeroboam said in his heart, stop right here. You've heard me make this comment numerous times over the years. The worst person you could ever talk to is yourself. The worst person you could ever ask advice from is yourself. The worst person you could ever run an idea by is yourself. 
Because you will always think your idea is the best idea. You will always think your counsel is the best counsel. There's a danger in just you and yourself coming up with the conclusion and coming up with the decision. What does Jeroboam do? He said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now these became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines in the high places, and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. What is he basically saying? If I let them go down to Jerusalem, they're going to see that spiritually the place to be. They're going to know that's where they should be, and they're going to want to stay there and be that be their king. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a church right here to make it convenient and easy for them. Because what will happen is they will just go what's closer and what's go what's easier. And I'm going to make it really fun for them too because verse 32, I'm just going to start my own feasts. I'm going to have my own feast. I'm going to have my own gods. I'm going to have my own altar. And I'm going to do all of this. Verse 33, so he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month, and the month which he had devised in his own heart. Back to his own heart. Guys, stay away from convenient Christianity. Christianity is not easy and it's not convenient. We've been studying on Sunday mornings, Matthew. And what did we just read in Matthew 7? The path to life is narrow and difficult and few will find it. It seems like what we're trying to do as churches today in America is to make Christianity as easy as we possibly can and to make it as enjoyable as we possibly can. I am not against having fun. I'm not against fellowship, but I'm not against us getting together as the body of Christ and enjoying the presence of the Lord. But Jesus himself said, the path is narrow, the path is difficult, it's full of trials, it's full of tribulations. Christianity is not about being convenient. It's about representing Jesus Christ. And if you truly want Christ to be in your life and to be on fire for him, I'm telling you right now, there's going to be problems, trials, and tribulations. Because that is how God is glorified and that is how God works. Remember what it says in Romans and Corinthians. We glory in tribulation. Because people see what we go through and we point it towards the Lord. I've shared this story with you many times before. One time I looked up the easiest devotional you could do. And the easiest devotional I could find was you could do the one-minute devotional. One minute. Now just think about that for a second. You get up to start your day, and Lord, I love you so much, I'm giving you a minute. But isn't that what we've run into as a society? I mean, McDonald's has how many fast food, excuse me, drive through lanes now? Two, right? Because we couldn't just stick with one anymore. It's not quick enough. Express lanes. We have all these things to make everything go quick. One day shipping, two day shipping. Everything just goes really quick. And when you look at Christianity, it is a marathon. It is a long distance race. And it is taking years to sometimes whittle away on things that are a problem. I tell you, I had something in my life that was a huge issue. And and it took about 18 months. 18 months for the Lord to whittle that away. And the Lord's still working on it. 
And what I just see in society today is sometimes what we try to do as churches is to make everything as easy and as fun and as convenient as possible. Well, what do I see here going on with Jeroboam? Nothing's changed in 3,000 years. Jeroboam 3,000 years ago, hey, I'm going to lose these guys. Um, I need to make worship more fun. I need to make worship closer. And I'm going to set up my own parties because if I let them go all the way down to Israel, I'm going to lose them. It's not about being what's right. It's about what's being easy and convenient. And you see with Jeroboam, that was his sin. Let's try to make this as easy and convenient as possible. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. And please don't think I'm being judgmental. And please don't think I'm trying to be legalistic to you. If you really want to go deeper in the Lord, and I mean this sincerely, it's a lot of time and effort. It is. It's time in prayer. It's time in the Word. And I don't say that to make you squirm or to make you feel bad. And it's not a legalistic have to. It's a Lord... I have all this time during the day. I want to spend it with you. I want to grow in you and pray with you and fast with you and be with you because I need this wisdom. I need this guidance. I need this direction. And it's not about making it convenient or easy or anything like that. That's about wanting to go deeper with the Lord. Um, one of the rules we have at the Irvin household is before the boys can play electronics when they get up in the morning is they do their devotions first. So they've been picking books to go through. And so sometimes when we get up in the morning, we're all in the living room and we're all kind of doing our thing together. And I heard one of the boys recently get his Bible out and open up his book to do his devotion, the chapter he was reading. And he's like, yes. And you have that brief moment of, yeah, Lord, you're really moving into my kid's life. You know, this is something really. And he's like, yes. I said, what are you excited about? He goes, it's a short chapter today, Dad. (laughs) Isn't that how it is? It's a short chapter today, Dad. (laughs) Amen. Let's get out of church early, you know? I mean, just like, that's what we do. That's what we do. And what you see with Jesus, when you read through the Gospels, he's just like, spend more time with me. More time, Lord? Yeah, just spend more time. Just sit at my feet. I was just reading about Mary and Martha the other day, and and you've heard this point many times before. Every time you see Mary mentioned in the New Testament, she's always just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And if you really read the Gospels, what did the disciples and the apostles and Jesus do? They just hung around with each other and just talked and ate and just spent time with each other. We, we have got to this point as a society now where we let a calendar run our lives and not Christ. And I just want to encourage you. I'm not judging. I'm not picking. Don't go the path of convenient Christianity. Go the path of, Lord, I am in this for eternity, and I want to grow in you, and I want to live in you, and I want to be with you. And, Lord, whatever sacrifice that means, whatever that takes, in the name of Jesus, I'm willing to do it. If that's your heart... God will honor that. He really will. He will never take you deeper than what you want to go. He will not force you. But if your heart's desire is to do that, he will take you deeper in that. So what we have here going on now, back to Second Chronicles 11, you got Rehoboam building up his defenses, Jeroboam trying to make it as easy as possible. So the believers in the northern kingdom, they come down to the southern kingdom. Because they basically say, listen, we want the real relationship. We want that real relationship with the Lord. And so that's what they wanted to do. And that's kind of where chapter 11 ends. So this is where you start seeing, if you're a student of the Old Testament history, you see now why the northern tribes fall away so quickly. They have no worship of God. It's a false worship of demons. It's a convenient Christianity. The southern kingdom is where the believers are, and that's why the southern kingdom sticks around here a little bit more. And going back to our up-down Rehoboam, verse 17, they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years. For three years, Rehoboam gets it spiritually. We started low, now we're back up. 
Okay, what's going to happen to Rehoboam? Well, let's get to chapter 12 here real quick and find out. Have you got any quick questions, comments about chapter 11 here before we move on? Ryan. Well, Ryan, if you could get the answer to that question, I would appreciate that because I've been, I've been out here now, I'm in my 17th year of being the head pastor, and I keep seeing people return to the vomit, and it, and it really gets annoying sometimes. Um, how many guys have to go down the path of pornography to realize it's stupid? You know, how many guys have to get into the drinking? How many women have to get complaining about their husbands because they're not godly enough? You know, how many kids have to be disrespectful towards parents? It's this repeated sin pattern. And it hasn't changed in 3,000 years. And so you say, why did Jeroboam do that? I have no idea. Why are we back to the golden calves thing again? I don't know. Now, before you think that I'm picking on other people, I look at my life, because I've been walking with the Lord 23 years, and I'm like, James, you're still not over that yet? You're still jumping back into that pit of vomit? You're still jumping back into that problem? I mean, Dawn and I, like I said, we've been married almost 20 years. And the other day we said, seriously, after 20 years, we haven't figured out how to work this out yet? We still argue over this? This is that sin, ugly nature that just hangs on to us, and we will fall back into old patterns and habits. And the whole golden calf thing, you would stop and think, doesn't anybody remember what happened earlier? No, they didn't. They went back to the path of the golden calves thing. It's annoying. It's frustrating. And if it's annoying and frustrating to us, think about God the Father in heaven. But that's His grace and mercy. He still loves us. Still loves us. Um, my two youngest, uh, I couldn't remember their names, Layden and Tyrus. <laughs> Layden and Tyrus are at each other all the time now. Just all the time. So anytime I hear them bickering or arguing, make them stop playing, and you have to go clean. So our house is immaculate because we got a three-year-old and a six-year-old cleaning. So I started something new today. I said, whatever I see you guys arguing and bicking over, it now becomes mine. Because if it's that big a deal for you guys to fight over, it's mine. So if you come into my bedroom right now, I have so many Batman toys. Because I'm just taking it away. And I just stop and I think, how many times do they have to clean? How many toys do they have to lose before they stop and realize it's not worth bickering and arguing? It got so bad that Tyrus and Layden started bringing toys in. I'm not, I'm not making this up. They brought toys in. I said, why are you guys bringing me the Batmobile? Well, we were just arguing, so we just decided to bring it in ourselves. I mean, it's like this self-confession type thing. And you want to stop and say, don't you want to play with it? Yeah. Well, then just don't argue and bicker. And, and, and I look at my life, and I look at other people's lives, and I'm thinking, man, don't I want to go deeper in Jesus? Yeah. Well, then why don't we just stop this? Why don't we just grow in the Lord in that? But we do. It's just as the dog returns to the vomit. We're back to setting up uh, golden calves again. So, good point, right? Anybody else have anything? Yeah, Cindy. My house needs clean. Your house needs clean. <laughs> you no, uh, maybe, the Lord, maybe the Lord's going to give you a three-year-old and a six-year-old, Cindy. So, Sarah was 90, so. Just quoting scriptures. That's all I'm doing. Just quoting scriptures. Anybody else have anything to say here before we move on? All right, we're back to the roller coaster. Rehoboam, we left off. He was doing good. 
you start off bad. He's trying to keep the kingdom by force. He's fortifying these cities. He's trying to get more tax money. Okay, that didn't work out. Now he's back good. All the Levites and priests came down. So he's had three good years. Well, verse 1, chapter 12. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Now what happened when Jeroboam, excuse me, when Jeroboam heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of the king Solomon had been dwelling in Egypt. They sent and called him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke. Now we've kind of talked about that a little bit there. This idea of the starting out rough and not learning and not listening from this. So jumping ahead here now, what's going to happen? Let's go ahead and jump ahead here to... Um, excuse me, I'm in Kings there. Go back to Chronicles. Chronicles chapter 12 there, verse 1. I was just testing you guys there. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. That's the point what they were talking about. He has spent all this time and energy getting himself to where he needs to be. He's fortified his cities. He's made everything strong. Guess what he does? He gives up on God again. This is that roller coaster. I, I just want to share the story with you real quick. Probably 10, 15 years ago, I, I, you've heard me say this before, there was a gal that was coming out to church, uh, had a husband who was not a believer, was earnestly desiring for her husband to go deeper in the Lord, finally started coming out to church. And the reason he came out to church is he had some legal stuff going on against him. It looked awful. It looked horrible. It honestly looked like there was no way out. They went to court fully assuming that he was going to be put in jail for a long period of time. The judge dropped all charges come back, an amazing miracle, just to God be the glory. And they were really on fire for the Lord for about two, three months. And then disappeared. Because what happened was, it's during that time of trials and tribulation that we realize we need the Lord. Then when the going gets good, I hate to say it, we kind of just start going back to our own thing again. We left off Rehoboam was doing good. And what happens now is he's got everything strengthened and established. He doesn't need the Lord anymore. It's amazing. When the money's tight, we pray for finances a lot, don't we? But when the money's going good, we really usually don't stop and say, Lord, how do you want me to use this for you? When we're feeling sick or a loved one is sick, oh my goodness, we're asking everybody for prayer, for health and healing. But when we're feeling good, we really don't stop and think about it. See, and this is where we need to learn from Rehoboam. When the things got good, he forsook the law. So what happens, verse 2, and it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. God says, I'm going to discipline you and I'm going to use Egypt to do it. Egypt is the spanking spoon of the Old Testament. With 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt, Libyam and the Secunium and the Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. So Rehoboam sees this army just constantly moving up, taking over city after city after city. And please note just a quick little point here. All these fortified cities that Rehoboam put all this time, energy, and effort into meant nothing to the Lord. Nothing to the Lord. We talked about on a Sunday not too long ago about how much time and energy we put into kingdom building. And what kingdom are you building? Are you building the kingdom of God by being a light and a witness in what you do and say? Or are you trying to build your own little kingdom? And we talk about how a lot of times people in churches are building their own little kingdom of a church. We're going to focus on us and growing us and making us bigger and better. It's never about us. It's about Jesus. So you put all your time and energy into fortifying this earthly thing. God says it means nothing to me. So all his fortified cities fall. 
Verse 5, Then Shimei the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shimshak and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I have also left you in the hand of Shimshak. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, The Lord is righteous. Now, if you're following our little roller coaster, started down, went up, went down, and guess what? We're back up again. Roller coaster Christianity is awful. It really is. Because you're up and you're down and you're up and you're down. I know people that are on roller coaster Christianity, and when you talk to them, you never know what you're going to get. Are we going to get the high? of the Lord's using you, and amen, and God's amazing, and look what I'm reading and studying, and I'm being a light and a witness, or am I going to get the low where you don't even want to make eye contact or talk about the Lord? See, Rehoboam, he's back up again. Verse 7, Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shimea, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Verse 7, Grace! You've humbled yourself. You realize you're wrong. I forgive you. That is the beauty of the Lord. It always annoys me when the world presents God as the angry man living upstairs. And he just wants to send people to hell. And he just wants to make our lives miserable. No, he doesn't. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you grace. He wants to give you mercy. But there's consequences to our actions. Verse 8, Nevertheless, they will be his servants, and they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nation. God says this. Here's the deal, guys. I'm not going to let him destroy you. But, Shishak, what's going to happen here? Verse 9, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and all the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. God says, hey, listen to this, though. To remind you of this, I'm going to let him come in and take some stuff from you. There's going to be consequences to your actions. That is not an unloving God. That is a very loving God. Had a guy years ago that got in trouble, did something he shouldn't have, got caught, came into my office. We sat down, we talked. And one of the first questions I asked him is, are you in here because you got caught? Are you in here because you want things to be different? He was honest. I'm in here because I got caught. I said, if you would not have gotten caught, would you have come to me and said, I have an issue with this? He said, no, I never would have been in here. Sometimes God allows you to get caught. It's the most loving thing he can do to you. He loves you so much, he will let you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Israel, excuse me, Judah was starting to turn away from the Lord. God says, I'm going to allow Egypt to come up and get your attention. So remember, we just left Rehoboam. He's high again, right? Look at verse 10. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. Now he's back to being good again. But did you note there's something going on in the background? Look what happens here. Don't, don't skip over this. Verse 9. Shishak of Egypt takes away the gold shields. Rehoboam in verse 10 replaces them with bronze shields. Now just hear me out on this. First off, number one, what is the purpose of a gold shield? Gold is, is very soft, and it's not a strong metal. If you're going into combat and someone hands you a gold shield, you will look really good while you die. But you're going to die. Gold shields are for one purpose and one purpose alone. What? To make you look good. They're out of gold now. All their gold has been taken. So what do they do? Verse 10, they make bronze. 
Why? Because you can polish up bronze really good to make it look like what? Gold. Doesn't look the same, but you can make it really bright and shiny. And what do they do with their bronze special shields? Well, every time the king comes, we'll bring out the bronze. What are we really looking at? Rehoboam's heart is still not fully over to the Lord. He still wants to look good. I mean, I mean we, we see that in Christianity. We, we spend so much time and energy promoting ourselves and promoting a ministry and promoting a person or a pastor when we're really just supposed to be promoting Jesus. And so we have all these gold shields. Look at us. Aren't we great? God says, I don't care about your gold shields. And if we can't afford gold shields, well, then what we'll do is we'll make bronze shields. We'll we'll make them look really shiny and nice. Think about the people that God uses. The greatest man that ever lived, according to Jesus, was who? John the Baptist. And he ate locusts and honey and lived out in the wilderness. That's God's just looking for a heart. It's not about how we look. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And we got to reach the point where we say, I don't care if I have gold shields. I don't care if I have bronze shields. I don't care if they look shiny and bright. I'm a mess that's been saved by Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you about it. So how do we end up Rehoboam's life? Verse 13, King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Namah, an Amamatus, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. The Acts of Rehoboam, first and last, were not written in the book of Shimei, the prophet, and of Ido, the seer, concerning genealogies. And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. This is where we're going to end tonight. Rehoboam starts out focusing on himself, gets back on the Lord, goes back to focusing on himself, gets back on the Lord, and goes back to focusing on himself. This up, down, up, down. This passage sums it up perfectly right here. What does it say about him? Verse 14, he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. We've been talking a lot about that phrase, seeking the Lord. Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And we talk about what does that word seek mean? It doesn't mean just this casual relationship with the Lord. It doesn't mean some type of convenient Christianity. It stops and you mean, Lord, from this point forward, it has nothing to do with me. My marriage is yours. My kids are yours. My life is yours. Every moment of the day is yours. And how can I be a light and a witness for you? And all of a sudden, it's not about me or my schedule or anything. It's about you, Lord. And I tell you, when you reach that point, there finally becomes a fulfillment and joy and peace in saying, Lord, I get it. Because when you live for yourself, you constantly walk in some type of disappointment. That people aren't paying you enough attention. People aren't patting you on the back enough. People aren't paying you. None of that matters. None of that matters. It's all about Christ. And even from a perspective of a church, well, we should be getting more recognition. There should be more people coming. The seats should be full. No. It should be, how can we represent Jesus Christ to a dying world? That's all that matters. And that's why, for example, coming up here, sending people over to Holgate. Let's go. Let's go represent Christ to them. You know, that's why we're trying to offer some of these things. And if you want to get involved with that, I cannot stress enough. Highly encourage you to prayerfully consider it. One of the things Richard's been working on here, too, I was about to say because we're getting into warmer weather, but I don't want to lie, but we're hoping when spring finally shows up 
We got some of these things that we've been doing called uh, backyard missions trips, where Richard's been going around to some people's houses and getting stuff lined up, where we can just go over and do a one-day service project at that house and just say, we want to represent Christ to you. Because that's what it's all about, is representing Jesus to a dying world. And with Rehoboam, he wasn't fully seeking God. So he had these ups, downs, ups, downs. Guys, get off the roller coaster. Put him first on all that you say and all that you do. And when that finally happens, you'll realize, Lord, I get it now. I have fulfillment in you, not in my marriage, not in my job, not in my kids, not in my money, but a fulfillment in you. And I can get off this roller coaster just like Rehoboam did. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we go ahead and close up? All right, let's pray then. Heavenly Father, you've said that these are our examples to learn from. And Lord, we want to learn from them. Let it be about you. And if that means that there's a breaking of us, then Lord, we come to you and we lay ourselves on the altar and say it's yours. Every hidden closet in our spiritual lives, open up, take that out, Lord. Whatever weeds are rooting up in our life, rip them out to make it for you. Lord, we're not looking for a convenient Christianity. We're looking to be on fire for you, making a difference in where we live and where we work and in everything we do to make a representation of Christ. Lord, help us to disappear and to really just be a picture of Jesus in all we do and all that we say. Let it all be about you, Lord. We love you, and we lift this up in your name. And Lord, real quick, I also want to lift up a, a, a gal by the name of Sarah, um, 33 weeks pregnant, twins coming, coming early. Just pray for a safe, healthy delivery and pregnancy, and just pray that you'd go before that. And we lift this up in the name of Jesus, in your name. Amen. All righty. Hey, if anybody's got anything they want to pray about, feel free to come up and grab me. We'd love to get a chance to pray with you. If not, you guys have a good week, a good evening, and God bless you.